Yay. This is so exciting. Thank you so much for being on the show, Greta. Yeah, I'm so excited. Um, Thanks for asking me to do this. Of course. So I was thinking maybe we could just start at the beginning. Can you tell us a little bit about your childhood and what it was like growing up the daughter of Korean immigrants? Sure. Um, Yes, I am Korean American. Uh, I came from um, immigrant parents who moved to Los Angeles, and that's where I grew up. Um, And I have to remind myself from the jump not to be super sarcastic (laughs) and and, um, in the way I respond to these questions. But even that, I have to acknowledge that sometimes when certain things in life are hard to talk about or are a little painful, um, that can be a knee-jerk response for me is to use comedy or to joke about it, right? Um, so I'm just going to like put a finger on that, keep tabs on that. And I'm asking you to lyric to, to, you can check me. You can be like, Greta, you know, that's a cop out or you (laughs) you don't need to make a joke. Um, okay. So disclaimer aside, yes. Oh my God. Growing up, growing up was, uh, I was so profoundly and deeply affected by being, Korean um, and being Korean-American in ways that as an adult, I'm still figuring out. Um, It is a long process in trying to understand what was going on and why I am the way I am today. Um, Absolutely has everything to do with what it was like as a kid. So back then, I grew up um, with a pretty traditional Korean family. Um, My parents, uh, my dad, I had a working dad. Um, He is a doctor. Uh, He still is. He's still practicing in Koreatown. Um, And my mom was a stay-at-home mom, and she... Uh, had a, you know, a fairly traditional role as a stay-at-home mom and taking care of my brother and sister and I, but she, she was an artist. She is an artist, I should say. Um, so she was a concert pianist. Um, and she went to Ihua University in Korea and, um, really kind of put that aside professionally and, and took care of us and, and helped my dad, uh, with his work. So, I mean, that was sort of our family makeup, Um, but I first moved, we moved around a lot. I was born in LA, and then I moved to uh, the East Coast. I I was in Brooklyn, um, and my my brother was born in Brooklyn. Before that, my sister was born in Boston. This is all to say we moved a bunch. I was always the new kid somewhere trying to find my way. Uh, Korean was my first language, actually, which I think is kind of common for immigrant kids, right? Because my parents, we spoke Korean at home. My parents were still getting a grasp on English. So I was a kid who actually, I went to speech therapy when I was in kindergarten. Um, I went to ESL because I was living, I did, because um, I was living in Brooklyn 
as a four-year-old, five-year-old, and I had a Brooklyn Korean accent, which I still, I'm dying to know what that sounds like. I mean, come on. No one, no oh, one can tell no. me. I know, right? And it's so hard to believe because now I sound like Cali. <laughs> I'm like a total Valley girl through and through. Uh, but yeah, we we moved back to LA by the time I was in kindergarten um, or first grade, uh, and uh, we moved to Locking Out of Flintridge, um, and I began, um, yeah, uh, navigating, um, I guess at the time I didn't know that that's what I I was doing, but, um, being a kid who felt really different, um, perpetually. Um, and that's really been one of the most like defining things about not just my childhood, but like my life as an adult is feeling like an outsider in a hundred different ways again and again. And coping with that, but also seeing what kind of what good could come from that kind of feeling. So, does feeling alienated almost like fuel your fire and make you want to kind of create change? How have you found that you've done that? So, when I was a kid, I've always felt really, um, I mean, it's hard to assess now, it's a mix of so many things. I was, I was wanting, I was always really determined to question what I felt like was the status quo and what I was seeing around me and certain expectations, not just within my family. I mean, I did, I grew up in a really traditional household where my parents were, there was a lot of pressure that I I know I, I feel like kids today, I hope that some of that has changed with the sense that I have is maybe it hasn't. I mean, I, I had that kind of standard pressure of like, you should go to Harvard. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't matter. I mean, I, I, I remember even when it was clear that what I wanted to do with my life was the arts, I remember my parents took me to MIT on a college tour and they, they, we went on a tour and it, it was like a joke to me because I knew, I was like, I'm not going to MIT, but they found a bulletin board that had like some tiny piece of paper with like theater club written on it. And my mom and dad were like, see, Greta, you could go to MIT and, and, um, you could, you can do that here. Um, and I, I mean, that's just to explain like what kind, yeah, what kind of environment it was. Um, but yeah, I, I think like growing up, I felt really weird that I liked, that I liked to perform like in my family being really showy like that and campy. (laughs) I mean, at the time I didn't know like camp, like camp is an actual thing to be like a theater nerd to be, yeah, I was like really into musicals, but none of that was familiar to my parents and being Korean, I definitely felt the pressure to be ladylike. I mean, this is something that I've talked about a lot. Um, this pressure to be, yeah, I mean, demure, obedient, a good daughter, all of that. I mean, I, you know, it sounds so cheesy, but like I cried so hard when I watched Mulan, I remember, because I was like, I understand. That's how I feel, this pressure. I mean, it's it's really funny to think about. 
But I, I did feel all of that. And I felt like something was wrong with me because I just didn't feel comfortable in my own body. Like I felt like, yeah, sometimes I felt like, oh my God, am I a boy? Like why? I don't feel like feminine in the way that my parents want me to be. And I felt really deeply how disappointing that was to them. I mean, things are, are different and it, and I was really kind of insistent that they see me in a certain way, which, I mean, it was not easy. I had a lot of, there was a lot of tension to say the least in my house surrounding that. But anyways, I think, yes, I can see now that as a kid, I was doing all sorts of things to try to make use of that feeling of like, I don't make sense. Like, how could someone who loves, um, you know, uh, Julie Andrews so much also be someone who is like Korean and wants to fit in and is at Korean church and wants to like impress like certain Korean kids who are busy like shooting pool and pool halls <laughs> and yeah, we're like wearing like, you know, we're like – I mean, I can say this lovingly, but wannabe gangsters, you know, yes, and like absolutely. seeking out a totally like different life. And I was, but I like, I wanted to fit, I wanted to find my place. So I was so confused. I was a kid who like really felt like a ham and felt like, quote unquote, very nerdy in that way, in a way that was not cool, while also really wanting to feel accepted by the Asian community that I saw that was like much like tougher and much more like, I mean, I really had to hide certain parts of myself depending on where I was. Um, this is all to say versions of that still exist in my life as an adult. It's just like in different ways. Yeah. And when did you kind of decide that you were going to like go for it and really like become an actress or was that kind of a really long journey? It was a, it was a long journey. And the more I think about it, I do think it has everything to do with being Asian, actually, um, because of the things that I just described. Like in my house, it wasn't like it was cool to be funny, you know, or to like comedy wasn't something that was spoken about in my household. It, I, you know, So many of my peers in the comedy world, you know, they have these stories about growing up and watching like old SNL or like watching stand up with their parents or like sitcoms. Like that was not my experience. We listened to a lot of classical music. My mom was a concert pianist, as I said. We were immersed in the arts, but in a very classical way. Like we painted, we went to Mission Renaissance to like learn how to paint. And I was singing, but I was singing classical music. And I even competed in like the Baroque Festival and thought I wanted to be an opera singer. Wow. So the process of becoming, I know, I and I don't have the discipline to do that. I, But the... Yeah. I mean, it took me so long to really kind of like uncover what it was that I really wanted to do. I, when I was young, I knew I loved to dance. I loved to sing and I, I loved to perform. I did. But I was like, do I, I like, I remember I, I, I like had like cheesy corny dreams of like becoming like Mariah Carey, like being a singer. Cause I didn't really know what I was after it hadn't developed yet. It like this idea of like, oh, I want to, I want to act. That just like it felt like something that seemed, I guess, honestly, impossible. 
Um, and I want to speak directly to that. I think specifically because growing up, I did not see any single person who looked like me on a movie screen. It really, yeah. I I mean, maybe Lucy Liu. I know in the last couple of years, there's been like an influx of Asian, kind of like Asian-led films in Hollywood. Do you feel like that is, yeah. you know, a step in the right direction? And do you kind of want a, a role in that too? Yeah. I mean, I think there definitely is more than there used to be for sure. Is it enough? No. I think there could be a lot more. Um I think that the sort of quote unquote progress that we've seen is going from virtually having no show that represents Asians in any capacity. I think we had Margaret Cho's uh, American Girl, um, which is, I think, super short lived and only had two seasons, maybe one. Um, And that went away. And then, um, I mean, I'm jumping, but, you know, Sandra Oh on Grey's Anatomy was a really big deal in ways that I didn't understand at the time. But that for me was during college um, and seeing her and seeing the kind of performance she was able to give, gave me a lot of validation that like, oh, I can like, maybe there is a chance that I could do this um, and do this as me, not some like new invented version of myself. Um, But then that we had this era where I was like, okay, we have fresh off the boat. And I remember hearing explicitly from people like, yeah, we're not going to do that other show because we already have that Asian show. We have fresh off the boat and feeling really discouraged. It's that's the thing with, with systemic racism and white supremacy, which absolutely exists within the business because it exists in the world. That whole idea of there can only be one. It's absolutely has been so much of my experience, especially early on in the business, where there can only be one person of color, there can only be one Asian, there can only be one Asian show. Um, And it creates this really unfair, twisted dynamic where not only are we just not having enough representation, but it's also this like unfair burden on that one show or that one actor or the one one story to somehow encapsulate encapsulate the entire experience of being Asian American and that's impossible right and it also breeds like weird um a sense of internal competition that is Absolutely. like honestly because of these systems at play. You know, I remember when I first started out feeling devastated, feeling like, oh my God, she got the job. Like, ugh. And feeling like, oh no, like it's over for me. But and now look that I'm I'm have had so much time more time in the business. I can I look back and I have so much empathy for myself and also all of my peers who are trying to make it. And I wish I could go back and just hug everyone and hold us together and say like there are reasons why you feel this way and it's not, you're not inventing it. It's real and try to have empathy for yourself and for your peers because it's not, it's not your fault. It's because of the system. 
Yeah. And I think the whole idea too of it being like an Asian show or having the typical Asian character can also be harmful to viewers and other young Asian people too, to see that overachieving, like super nerdy Asian kid. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I feel like that's oftentimes the way Asian people are portrayed in films. And Mm -hmm. I know like typecasting is definitely a thing. Do you... Are you very aware of that? And does being an Asian woman kind of play another role in your consideration of roles? Yes. I feel really lucky, actually, that – and so much of this business is luck. I mean, you hear that a lot, but it really is true. Um, I was in New York City during a specific moment when there were a lot of female comedians coming up. And making, they're starting to make their own material and starting to really carve out their own space. And I'm talking about people like Amy Schumer, Lena Dunham, Abby and Alana with Broad City. Um, It was this time where collectively there was something happening. Now, did it extend to people of color yet? No. Um, It's sort of to be blunt. It's always white people first, right? So I was watching my peers um, do this. And um, it was really interesting for me to watch on, from the sidelines. And that sounds super depressing, but that's just that's just how it was. I was a player on their shows. I was in support of their voice and vision. But I think that I feel really grateful that comedy was able – gave me an opportunity to play characters. Um, in a way that was broke me free from the stereotype. And so I got to play and that's, and I could tell that that's like, oh, this something, there's something that I need to move towards this, whatever this energy and this feeling playing certain very flawed people who I recognize. And I'm talking about like Sue Jin on girls, um, Homeless Heidi on um, High Maintenance, Um, people who I just like, I honestly just fell in love with them as people and felt like really freed that I know I can, I'm bringing something to this that I know I can do. And in a way, like only I can do um, for that in that moment. Um, And it helped that I was also auditioning like crazy for those stereotypical roles um, that I wasn't getting cast in those parts. So we're talking about the like, you know, super nerdy, like the lab technician or like the like, I don't know, the like valedictorian or uh, like the doctor. Like I was told, you know, you're too – weird you're like your face moves a lot in like a funny way um like you're just not we need you to be more robotic like you're too you're too much and that was so I'd love to say that at the time I was like yeah whatever like you know I but it was so hurtful because I was like oh no like it's hard enough as it is but they're telling me I'm a bad Asian. I'm bad at being Asian and really feeling like this is terrible. I honestly have to say I appreciate people like you so much portraying like the 3D 
Asian-ness of people. Like Asians aren't just that nerdy, you know, stereotype and that Asians can be kind of whole people. And veering more towards the being a woman aspect of the show, I've noticed that a lot of your shows are also very female-centric too. Is that really important to you to have female connection and that female collaboration? Yes, absolutely. I I could say almost without exception, the best experiences of my life professionally have been because of the women. And it is noticeable and um, it is just the environment that is a female environment versus one that is devoid of women it's it's stark it's remarkable it's really significant just in the way i mean it touches everything the whole process um and i think things i think things have have changed for the better and again i think that they there's still room for more change more improvement on that front but when i was working on a set like um, let's say, yeah, I mean, Russian Dolls season one was a group of women. It was a harem of women and working with Natasha and Amy Poehler, who I were early champions of my work. Amy Poehler and Tina Fey, I am so grateful to them that for whatever reason, they saw something. This is a little bit of a segue, a side, a sidebar, but when I did this movie Sisters for them, um, initially I read the script and I was like, no, this is really racist, <laughs> frankly, and really like <laughs> one note. And I don't know, like a nail salon worker, like this is exactly the type of part that, you know, I, I just described, like I've been avoiding or like just this isn't like what I do. And she has an accent. But I sat down with the director, Jason Moore, and I said, and I kind of said that. And I kind of can't believe that I did because, I mean, who was I to say that? I was like, nobody to say that. But I, but I did because, and I think that is like advice that I have for a young person is like, listen to that voice inside of you. And even though it can feel so scary and like an impossible ask of yourself, to speak up. You have to do it. It it is so worth it. It's worth the risk, the fear, the consequences or the fear of the consequences. It is worth it. It it just it is. And I I could like scream that from the mountaintops because every almost every good thing that's happened has been because that small voice that is just screaming to get out that is like an alarm that is saying, "Excuse me, I know we can do better than this." Or I know I have a better idea for what this character should sound like, what she should say. Like, I know. And I can't just sit here and not say anything. Even though you're like sweating and you're like, oh my God, please, like, don't fire me. Or like, don't like yell at me. It's so hard. But that, I I really believe that. But but anyways, I don't even know what we're talking about. We're talking about women, but female environment. So yeah, I mean, Tina, those are women. Tina. Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, I mean, Natasha Lyonne, and Leslie Headland. That first season of Russian Doll was such a cozy set. And, like, you hear actors talk about that, like, oh, that set, like, it's so freeing. Like, we could really play. But it's true. When it's a bunch of men 
And I'm not trying to just like randomly and arbitrarily poo-poo on men. I love men. (laughs) Men are great. Some of my favorite people are men. But there is definitely a different vibe. I mean, it just, it just is. And when it's, I've been on those sets that are all dudes, it's something very different happens. Even the most, and I will say this, even the most progressive, woke, you know, bleeding heart liberals, those dudes, if it's a group of all dudes, it is, it's just different. It's a totally different circumstance for a woman, especially a woman of color, especially an Asian woman. Like they're just, it's like swimming upstream. There are just so many systems and inequities at play that it's just, it's, it, it, it would be impossible for it not to make an impact on the work. Um, so yeah, that's my long answer for why I think women are the best. <laughs> yeah, so important. absolutely. And I have to say, I love Russian Doll. And I'm so excited for the second season to come out. Yeah. And I feel like you can almost sense that, you know, like community and that warmth through the screen. Yeah. um, Even as just like a viewer, you know, it seems like it's a really homey, comfortable environment for everyone there. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think working with uh, the idea of like, go, go where it's warm go where, I mean, community matters. This is just something I've been thinking a lot about it. I I think not just like in this industry, but I think specifically for the Asian American experience that I know, there's so much pressure in the end product, right? Like, is this going to succeed? Is this going to be the best? Am I going to be the best? Are my parents going to be proud? I mean, and believe me, I'm yeah. I'm 39, and that feeling still is so present in in like a very truly incredible way. <laughs> but there's this pressure, right? Pressure. That is like built into our identity. And I guess what I've been what I've learned so slowly is different ways to like to really appreciate the process. I mean, you know, you've heard it, like the journey. It's the journey, right? But it that is true. Like, and that yeah. includes who you choose to surround yourself with and who you decide to work with. Um, and that absolutely makes all the difference. It in a way, that's sort of all that matters. Like different projects, things that you expect to be, oh my God, this is really gonna change my life. This it's never those things. And nothing is ever it's such a ephemeral, flimsy business. Nothing ever, none of this is real, if that makes sense. Um, So it's all about (laughs) trying to enjoy like the art of it and the community and the actual making of it. Otherwise you're left, you're sort of left with nothing, you know, shows get canceled, movies flop, you never know. Yeah. Is there any other piece of advice you would give to other young Asian women looking to enter the film industry? Besides what you covered? Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think like there's so much that I wish I could go back in time and tell myself a lot of it really does have to do with self-love. And I don't like, you know, I'm much more comfortable now in my older age being like more woo-woo and a little bit more like sensitive and vulnerable in that way. But to really fight, protect your spirit. I mean, really, I really believe that and like fight like crazy to protect it. There is a thing that I believe 
that Asian American women and young women in particular have in, innately. Um, and yeah, I'm generalizing because we're all like, we're not homogenous, we're all different. But I do believe there is something of value. There is something that is worth fighting for, fighting, you know, like crazy for and protecting with everything you have. And to take that and put it into your art, whether it's acting or writing or producing, that is what is the most important thing. There's so many other distractions. There's so much noise. There's so many other things that can pull you away from that and comparing yourself to other people or like feeling like, you know, I have to have this by a certain age or none of that matters. It's just this like gem that we all have inside. I know how cheesy this sounds, but I really believe it. Um, And now that I feel like I've been sort of on the other side, I can see still, still like I'm almost 40 and I still am learning to what extent that that's true and how to keep going with that feeling, with that idea. Um, And that informs everything, how you do the work and what kinds of stories you want to tell. My other very simple advice for anyone else who wants to get into this is kind of old school. I remember when I went to Northwestern on the first day, our professor's sat us down and asked us, is there anything else you'd rather do? Can you think of something else that you, you, you'd you rather, you'd want to do instead of acting? And if you could, they asked you to leave. And it wasn't like a mean thing. It was just trying to illustrate, do you love this? Like, because acting is impossible. Acting is a lifelong relationship you have with a thing that doesn't really like love you back. It's a craft, right? It's anyone who says, oh, I figured it out is wrong, is lying. It is, you are in relationship with it for the rest of your life. So really asking yourself if you're, if you're thinking about going for it, how much do you really love it and really love acting? Not like being famous or going to to parties and getting dressed up, all of that stuff is totally different. It's like a totally different part of the job. And that's not the real stuff. It's like, how much do you love to act? And there are a lot of different ways to answer that question. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like it can also come with how much are you willing to face all the challenges that are going to come with it? Because clearly there's so many. Yeah. And I think it's just having that that fire, you know, lit under you and mm-hmm. pushing you to overcome that. And I feel like that fire is just pure love for whatever you're doing. Yeah. And that love can shift and take on different forms. Like you could get into it thinking, oh, I really want to be an actor. And then realize, actually, what I love about this is directing. And it wasn't acting. It's actually, or I really love the camera. I want to be a cinematographer. There's so many elements to making, uh, you know, content, TV and film. And I think that sometimes Asian Americans have this disadvantage because we don't 
have access. Most of us don't come from families who have, you know, any experience in showbiz or like it's just such a different world. So I think a lot of us maybe have like a kind of like outsider peripheral kind of like superficial view of what the industry could be. And you think like, oh, I need to be like, I, I mean, I honestly used to think the only way I could be part of this was if I was like the next like Korean Natalie Portman. Yeah. Like that's how like, I was, just had no idea. I was like, that's the only way. Like you, you have to be like this one specific kind of ingenue or I, But now I know there's so many, it's like a pirate ship. There's so many moving pieces that are so instrumental um, to this. And, but that's not to say I, I, if, if your calling is, if you love acting and performing, I, I guess I don't want it to get lost that I don't want people to feel discouraged. It's hard because it's like, I'm, I'm simultaneously wanting to validate like these challenges are real. Like you're not making them up that it is hard. It's hard. It's, it's so much harder if you're Asian American and an Asian American woman, woman in so many ways. I mean, you do, I, I can laugh about it now, but I do feel like I've had to work like 300 times as hard as some of my peers. I can say that. I mean, I, and I stand by it where I have to feel yeah, um, that much more professional. I have to have, be that much more on my toes, ha- like be that much sharper with my improv and have ideas and be ready and be game and be bold. Like while I look over at some of my like, t- to be honest, white peers, you know, funny guy number two, mm-hmm. who's just sitting there like literally eating Cheetos while I'm like, you know, <laughs> feeling this pressure that's like totally like a t- we're in different t- universes doing the same job. Um, ugh, I lost it again. But what I wanted to say was that if you want to do this, you can. You really can, um, yeah. despite how impossible it can feel. I, be- I believe in you. I believe it's possible because I know it has been possible for me. Yeah. And I guess, lastly, what are just three words you would use to describe yourself as a proud Asian feminist? Oh, God. So this is exactly the type of thing where I have to like really like – sit on my knee-jerk reaction to just be sarcastic and cynical about it. So let me think. Three words. I mean, it feels antithetical, but it's like, I would say fearless and frightened. (laughs) Um, And um, I mean, maybe instead of frightened, I'll swap that out with vulnerable because I think that is something that's really – a good quality that should be championed. Um, so yeah. you and you can be fearless and also vulnerable and curious. That is the driving force behind my art and what I'm trying to do is to be eternally curious about the world and about yourself, about why we are the way we are. Um, those really unanswerable questions, but questions that are worth um, dedicating your whole life to figure out, I think. Thank you so much for being on the show, Greta. Is there anything, any project you're working on that you want our listeners to know about or keep an eye out for? Sure. 
So right now I am in the middle of writing uh, a TV adaptation of Kathy Park Hong's book, Minor Feelings, An Asian American Reckoning. And I have to say, if you haven't read this book, you run, don't walk, read this book. I mean, it really, not just if you're an Asian American woman, by the way, but especially if you are one, um, it really like put down in words, so many things that I had experienced as a kid and as an adult that I felt like weren't talking talked about and weren't didn't make sense because they were so hard to talk about. And she wrote it down in a book, and I and I just found that so healing and eye opening um, and incredible. Um, the other thing that I have coming up is a movie uh, with a twenty four called Past Lives, and I'm speaking a ton of Korean in this movie, which is a big first for me. And like I said, like Korean was my first language, but it's something that I like that I just had to be on. I just lost touch with that part of my identity. So that was a really scary thing for me to do. And it's a drama. No jokes. No jokes in this movie. Wow. Um, yeah. And it's showing, it felt like a really big leap for someone like me. Um, and I feel like there's no hiding behind like a crazy character or like it's not that at all. Um, so that movie, it's written by and directed by Celine Song, a Korean American, Korean American Canadian actually. Um, and yeah, that will be coming out soon. That's so exciting. Thanks for sharing with us. And just thank you so much again for being on the podcast. I had such an amazing time talking to you. Thanks. I know I could have talked to you forever, Lyric. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. <laughs>